Would you please turn with me the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Every time that I preach in English, a mission trip that I did in 2003 to the Amazonas jungles comes to my mind. One day I was um, sharing the gospel in a tribe, and, and one of the chiefs said to me, Eric, do you want to try to speak in Spanish, or do you want to try <laughs> to have a translator? <laughs> And I said, what is the difference? He said to me, well, when a translator is here, the word comes like a, a, a flash, uh, I forgot the name, in our hearts. It's go deep. So it's just amazing that the Lord uh, really used language here and there. But I do pray that tonight you may understand my English. That's the point. So turn with me, John 18. Um, it's an amazing passage for us. Um, before we jump into our text today, let me give a, a bit just of the background here. As you're going to see, it's early on on Friday morning in Jerusalem. And Jesus has been arrested by some Roman soldiers and some officials from, from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They have placed... Uh, raised and leg on iron Jesus. They have taken Jesus to Caiaphas' house, the high priest. It was basically a setup for Jesus. And they have really um, interrogated Jesus and tortured him. And they mocked and struck Jesus. They spat his faith. They even blindfolded Jesus. And they slapped his, his face again and saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? They were making fun of Jesus. But at this point here, it was still a religious trial that Jesus was facing, and he was declared guilty. Of what? Of claiming to be the Son of God. But the Jewish leaders, they knew that that wasn't enough in the eyes of Rome to justify a death penalty. So they take Jesus to the Roman governor, to, to turn this uh, political, or this religious trial into a political one. That was the plan. So get this in your mind. A blooded, bruised, shackled Jesus enduring all kind of perversions of justice. For he was claiming to be the Son of God. And it is in the midst of this uh, injustice that I want us to consider. Um, perhaps one of the most important questions that any human being can make, what is truth? So let's go to John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not allowed for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. 
So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of Jews? the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did the others say to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to you, to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said again, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we sit before your word, we ask you to help us to understand the truth tonight, O oh Lord. Would your Holy Spirit open up our minds and hearts to understand it and help us to apply it into our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. One day, two psychiatrists were having a conversation, and one asked the other, what was your most difficult case? And the guy said, well, I, I, I had a patient who lived in a pure fantasy world. What kind of... The other said, well, he believed that an uncle was going to die and would live for him in a fortune. And all day, every day, he waited for a letter to arrive from an attorney. He never went out. He never did anything else. He just sat around waiting, waiting for this fantasy letter from this fantasy uncle. What was the result? The other guy asked. And the reply was, well, which was... An eight years struggle, every day for eight years, but finally I cured him. Really? Yes, but then that stupid letter arrived. The letter was truth. You see, in that illustration here, the psychiatrist, the doctor, actually should be the patient. And the patient was living in truth. But even when the letter arrived, that psychiatrist was too uncomfortable with the truth. Just as in our text tonight, the Jewish leaders were uncomfortable when the truth stood up. And as you saw in the morning in Isaiah, the Jewish people were waiting and waiting for the Messiah. But when he came, when the truth came, they were uncomfortable. They condemned it. Uncomfortable, just as Pontius Pilate will be. And even before he asked his question, what is truth? The truth stood before him and said, I am. And he ignored it again. And uncomfortable, just as the world today is with us, claiming that Jesus is the only Son of God, that the Bible is the only inspired Word of God. The world is still uncomfortable with the truth. So tonight, as we go through our text here, I just wanted to consider at least three messianic characteristics here 
that comes out of our text that really enhances Jesus' claiming, the claim of Jesus uh, being the Son of God. And the first one is that Jesus is the true Passover. Go to verse 28. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Can you hear the, the irony here in these words? They want to eat the Passover. What a, an amazing irony here. Why? Basically, based in two questions. What is the Passover? And why? And what is wrong with the Roman headquarters, the palace, that the Jews do not want to enter it? The first question is easy. The, the Passover uh, was the most important Jewish feast by which they celebrate their freedom from slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And we know that at that time, God announced to the Israelites that he would be past judgment, punishment on the land of Egypt. And God commanded the Israelites to mark the doorposts of their house with the blood, the blood of a slaughtered lamb. And upon seeing this mark, which was a sign of faith, they were trusting in the word of God. Upon seeing this sign, the angel of the Lord would pass over the firstborn in the Israelites' home and would only strike the Egyptians. So it was basically the blood of that lamb, the Passover lamb that prevented God's wrath from being poured out upon the Israelites. It was only because of the blood of the Passover lamb. Now, what is wrong with the Roman policy here that the Jews don't want to get inside? They don't want to go inside. They want to stay outside. What is wrong? Well, in general, the Jews used to consider Gentile home to be ritual and clean, defiled, especially because of the defilements of being in contact with dead bodies. So if the Jews went inside of the Roman palace or any other Gentile home, they would become unclean, defiled, and they would be prohibited to participate on the Passover meal later that night. See, though, they don't want to get inside. You may wonder now whether the Gentiles have dead bodies spread throughout their houses, <laughs> and that's not the case. But what the Jews did believe was that the Gentiles did bury aborted babies in their homes. And the way they used to do that was by disposing the fetuses in the drainage systems that would be underneath the rocks, which were underneath their house. And then their house would be defiled. It was not written in the Mosaic Law, but it was an application, according to the Jewish leaders, of the Mosaic Law. So you don't want to get inside. Now, here's the irony. In order to prevent, in order to avoid such ritual uncleanness, in order to preserve their self-righteousness before God, in order to say, I have the right to participate in the Passover meal, the Jewish leaders are manipulating the judicial law as if they could justify the death of an innocent man 
as if the Gentile thought they could justify the killing of their innocent babies. And it is here that both Jews and Gentiles found themselves in the same depravity. As Paul says later on in chapter 3 of Romans, are Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin. And then Paul goes on quoting Psalms 53, saying, None is righteous. No, not one. Not even one. They're just like each other. But here in our text, it seems that what the Jews are doing is even worse. Why? Because they are seeking cleansing and self-righteousness before God while applauding, scheming the destruction, the death of the beloved Son of God. They are seeking self-righteousness apart from the, the righteous one. How is that possible? They are seeking righteousness apart from the only one that could cleanse them, the true Passover, the Lamb of God. As John says, when he saw Jesus approaching, the one who takes away the sin of the world. So that's the irony. But friends, honestly speaking, this is a great example of the irony that sometimes we ourselves adopt into our own lives. Don't we? Have you ever tried to justify yourself, your sin, your temptations, your struggles? For instance, husbands and wives, have you ever tried to justify your anger towards each other by manipulating each other, but manipulating even the Word of God in your favor? Have you ever do that? Instead of submitting yourself to the Word of God, instead of submitting yourself to the saving truth of Jesus, repenting, confessing, relying on God's forgiveness and grace and seeking reconciliation, instead of manipulating the truth. Because that's basically what the, the Jewish people are doing here to avoid the truth. So the Jewish leaders here are just setting up truth for themselves. And with a, such a zeal to participate on the Passover feed, feast, on the Passover meal later that day, such a zeal, meaning zeal without knowledge, is useless. And the irony is that in doing so, the Jewish leaders are unconsciously helped to bringing about the saving reality of the Passover lamb. As Paul says, again in Romans 3, in our unrighteousness, our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God. So God is in control using all these things to bring his righteousness. Now, here's the point. As the Jewish leaders are trying to put to death the Son of God, as they are trying to manipulate the judicial law to kill Jesus, they are shutting themselves out of, from his saving efficacy, from his saving grace. In other, day, in other words, on that night when the Jewish 
leaders were being gathered together to eat the Passover meal, they wouldn't get anything out of it. Why? Because they wouldn't be acknowledging Jesus as the true Passover. It's just like tonight. You are hearing the word of God. And you might be going home without getting nothing out of it if you don't hold by faith. If you do not acknowledge the word of God as the truth for your life. Another messianic characteristic here that comes out from this text is that Jesus is also the true redeemer. Verse 29, Pilate asks the Jews, what charge or what accusation do you bring against this man? Most of you know that I was not brought up in a Christian family, and I, I just met Jesus when I was around 20 years ago. And, and, but what uh, most of you do not know uh, that is, was that God has to stop a gun shot. A guy has a gun in my, ha- my head. And the next Sunday, I was in the church. Of course, I should be in the church. <laughs> I was most killed. So next Sunday, I was in the church listening to the word and felt God speaking to me, convicting me of my sin, but I was still wrestling, resisting. And that was the type of question that I heard. Eric, what accusation do you bring against my son? What fault you find in him that is leading you to resist to him rather than to surround to him, surrender to him? rather than to serve him. And I said, God, I don't have any, any accusation. I don't have, I cannot see nothing wrong in Jesus. Yes, I want Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus that night. And I think that's an appropriate question, even for you, Christian, that has been Christian for so many years, and you call yourself Christian, and, but still resisting God's mercy and word and truth. So many years in the church and it's still resisting. You do not trust God's love and mercy. It's too good to be good. Or perhaps you are not Christian yet and you are just investigating more about God, about Jesus, about the church, and still resisting, resisting Christ. Resisting to trust in Christ for salvation. So let's, let, let me ask you as well. What charge, what accusation do you have against Jesus? You have against God. Do you have any that causes you to resist? I agree. You may have, we may have genuine charge, accusation against God's people. And we do acknowledge. We are sinners. You may have accusation against God's church, and we do acknowledge we don't have a perfect polity church government. But here's the point. You're never going to find a charge, an accusation against the Son of God. He's altogether righteous, altogether holy, altogether just, altogether amazing God. There is no fault 
on him. And even the charge that you have against his people and against his church, listen to what Paul says in first Ephesians 1 verse 7. And in him, in Jesus, we, God's children, have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Your charge against the church, against God's people, will never stand before God because Jesus already stood for us. So, the Jewish leaders don't have charge against Jesus. They have nothing to, to say. They just want Pilate to trust in their judgment. Listen to verse 30. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. We know what we are doing here. Buddy, we are the expert here. <laughs> Listen to Pilate's answer. Verse 31. Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. In other words, since you already judged what, it is, what is the truth about this man, why don't you carry on and kill him according to your law? And they say, we can't. Really? Well, wait a minute. You can't? Well, you don't want. Isn't that exactly what they're going to do with, with Stephen a few months later in Acts 7? So why don't they don't want to, like, stole Jesus some rocks? And it seems that what they really want here is for Jesus to die by crucifixion. It seems. Why? Because they know the Mosaic law. According to the Mosaic law, death by crucifixion was a sign of God's curse, not approval or blessings. So that would disprove Jesus' claim of being the Son of God. So, turning to verse 32, here's another irony in this whole situation here. Referring to Jesus' death by crucifixion, John reminds us, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by, by what kind of death he was going to die. So this was to fulfill the word. Which word? Well, throughout John, throughout the life of Jesus, John reports a couple of moments that Jesus uh, referred to himself as the son of man who would be lifted up, being crucified. For instance, John 12 Verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Crucifixion would be the means by which Christ would bring people to himself, would draw people to himself. John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus also speaks of himself as the son of man who would be lifted up. But in John 3, Verse 14 is an interesting quote from Numbers 21. Jesus is quoting Numbers 21. When the Israelites became so impatient, they started complaining against God, complaining about the food, the water, complaining about, speaking about, uh, against uh, God and Moses. And in verse 6 says, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, they beat the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. 
pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is beaten, when he sees it, shall leave. So in John 3, verse 14, Jesus pick up Numbers 21 and say, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus must die by crucifixion. That was the ordinary means that God decreed. Unfortunately, the Jewish leaders don't want to consider this possibility. They are blind to the truth of the Old Testament prophecy. But not all, not all Jewish leaders were blind. Remember Paul, also called Saul? He was persecuting the church. And one day he met Jesus. He became blind. And that was a, a great moment of his life. And Jesus also said to him, what, fault, what, what accusation you have against me, Paul? What fault you find in me that caused you to resist me rather than to serve me? And Paul, who are you? I'm Jesus. And Paul surrendered himself and started to serve Jesus. And later on, Paul understood why Jesus has to die by crucifixion. And he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Galatians 3, verse 13. So God is behind the scene here, working through the evil actions of both Jews and Gentiles to bring the only means that he himself decreed to bring salvation to the mankind, the crucifixion. And the final messianic characteristic here in our text that also enhances Jesus' claim of being the Son of God is that Jesus is the true King. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? One commentator says that in this moment, Jesus is transforming the Roman palace into his own divine courtroom. In other words, Jesus is shifting places with Pilate in this trial. Now it is Jesus who sits on the judge's seat, and Pilate began to be interrogated. So Jesus said to Pilate, Are you asking whether I'm a king of the Jews because you believe it? Because you want to understand the truth? Or just because people told you? And unfortunately, Pilate had no conviction of his own to fall back at the most important trial of his life. Pilate had, could not think for himself. And I think Pilate here represents 
those people, even inside the church, who had no conviction of the saving truth themselves, people who only rely on what they pick up from others, they hear from their parents, yes, but there will be a time when you are going to embrace your faith and trust in Christ in your own. So the question is, Pilate again asked Jesus, so you are the king, meaning you are a type of religious king. And then Jesus said, yes, I am. You say that I am. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. So you see two things Jesus says here. Not only his kingdom is not of this world, but he himself is not of this world either. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. Here Jesus is referring to his incarnation when he moved from the glory he was sharing with God the Father to manifest his glory, the saving truth. And John picks up this truth about Jesus and turns it into his thesis. Right in the beginning of his book, he says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And in verse 14, John goes on in saying, The Word became flesh and made his indwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That's why Jesus goes and affirms everyone who is of the truth, listen to my voice. Everyone who belongs to the truth. And notice that even before Pilate asks his question, Jesus is already answering, I am the truth. What is truth? Jesus already answered and when Jesus does answer, notice that Jesus speaks about the truth as if it's a person. Everyone who belongs to the truth. And in fact, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. So everyone who belongs to Jesus listens to him, follow him. This is what Jesus means in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. Let's think more about Jesus' statement here. Everyone who is of the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth. listens to my voice. The question is, what does that imply for those who are outside the Roman policy demanding Jesus' death? If everyone who is of the truth Listen to Jesus. What about those people outside demanding his death? What about those who are trying to investigate Jesus tonight or even being a Christian for so long and has not yet put their trust in Jesus? What does that say about us? We are not from Jesus' kingdom. Jesus here is already exercising his kingship. They don't belong to me. They don't belong to me. And I hope you can see the next question here. Here's the main question. Everyone who is of the truth 
listen to me, Pilate. And then Pilate says, what is truth? It's the main question in our text. And I hope you can see that this question is more than an intellectual, philosophical question. I hope you can see that this is the saving truth that Jesus is talking about here. This question is related to the historical redemptive event that is unfolding here right now before Pilate. This question belongs to Jesus' claim. I am the Son of God. Is Jesus really the Messiah? The Passover Lamb? The the, the Redeemer of mankind? The true King? What is truth? And here we can see that truth should be understood as the self-disclosure of God in His Son who became flesh. And every time that God discloses His saving truth in Jesus, through Jesus, every time that God discloses His redemptive plan, His forgiveness, His grace, every time that God does that towards an individual as He did with me and you, He makes a new season of His kingdom. He rescued people from the dominion of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is how Jesus exercised His saving kingship. So let me uh, just conclude here with two points. Um, I do believe that that there is a a serious life threat warning here in our text for some of us tonight. For those who, like Pilate, although they are seeking the truth, the right question, investigating the right person, they're still resisting the truth. They're still manipulating the truth. There is no longing for truth, no desire to obey it, to submit to it. Like that, like that psychiatrist, they, those people, they don't want to believe the truth. And instead, they keep manipulating the truth. And if, and if, that, if that is you today, friend, I, I pray that you do not leave this place like Pilate walks away from the greatest authority for his greatest question of his life. Embrace the truth tonight. And listen to what Jesus said in John 12. 45, 48, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus was speaking about his first first coming. Now listen to that. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You see that? The truth will judge all people one day. The word of Jesus will be our judge. And when you hear these words, you should remember Revelation 19. We just listened a little bit this morning, a portion of it. When Christ is coming again to judge, what comes out of his mouth a sharp sword 
striking down the nation, symbolizing the word of Jesus. That is what's going to come out of his mouth. So today you do have the right to judge. You do have time to judge what is truth. But remember, one day the truth will judge you. It's a serious warning for us. But also, there's the good news. We should not fear the truth. There is a great encouragement here for some of us who are not only trying to find the truth, but want to submit to it. They, they want to embrace it. They don't know how to live without the truth of Jesus, the gospel. Although not perfectly, if you are one of those people, be encouraged. You belong to Jesus. You belong to the Son of Man. You belong to the Passover Lamb. You belong to the Redeemer, the King. You belong to God's kingdom. So may the God of truth continue uh, sustaining his saving truth in our hearts until he comes again to accomplish his redemption in our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the saving truth of Jesus, the gospel that one day you revealed to us in the pages of the Bible through the preaching of your word. Lord, but we, we want more than that. Would you, by your spirit, cause us to trust the saving truth of Jesus. By your spirit, could you cause our hearts to embrace the truth, to submit to it? Even when we feel threat in our own temptations and sins and anger, help us to understand that the saving truth will always bring restoration to our souls, O Lord. The joy of our salvation will always fill our hearts, O Lord, with your saving truth. And those who have not yet come, turn to you, O Lord. I do pray that your spirit as well, O Lord, reveal your truth. Empower those people to trust in you, to surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.